is our newsroom podcast we call WFA Talks. I'm news director Greg Collard and reporter Brad, Ben Bradford joins me right now. Hello, Ben. Hey, Greg. Hey. And assistant news director Lisa Worf. Hello, Lisa. Hey. How's the new gig going? Oh, it's going. It's going. So balancing a little editing, a little little education reporting. Yeah. Is, is, it, is it what I told you it would be, being an assistant news director, or is it turn out like you thought it would, or? Well, you did tell me that much going into it. So, um, <laughs> wow. <laughs> so it's exactly, it's exactly like what I told you. Yeah. Lisa is about a month into her uh, new role at WFAE as assistant news director for those not in the know. So doing a fine job, by the way. Oh, thank you very much. I appreciate it. You are still filing some stories, though. And one of the stories yeah. you're working on right now is about the lack of a state budget and how schools are responding to that. There's a lot of things that aren't going to be decided, in fact, for a few weeks about when school starts. Yeah. I mean, it, first, the continuing resolution went uh, mid-August, and now it's looking like they're going to have another. And when I say continuing resolution, I mean, basically, this sort of like temporary budget that gets you through until when lawmakers finally make a decision about the real uh, the real budget. Uh, it looks like it's going to be several weeks after that, which will put it several weeks after the start of school, and which is really, really, I mean, even in July, sometimes when the budget gets finalized, it's hard for schools uh, to figure out the year ahead. But, you know, one budget, for example, the Senate budget calls for um, hiring a bunch of teachers, uh, which, you know, which is great, right? Um, but <laughs> then when you have, you know, the school year already starting or a week away from starting. Can you find teachers? How right. can you find, you know, it's very difficult to find teachers. And those teachers do come at the uh, cost of, um, you know, 5,000 uh, teacher, teacher assistants across the state. So you have all these teacher assistants that are in limbo, and they've been in limbo before because this has been proposed. And then you have, you know, departments thinking, well, maybe we're going to have to be hiring all these folks. So um, then there's a the whole issue of space. And there's space, yeah. I mean, when you, you know, increase the number of teachers, you are increasing the number of classes, which means you are increasing the numbers of classrooms you have to to have for kids. And because that proposal lo- makes uh, lowers the number of student of 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 student the the student teacher uh, ratio for certain grades. Exactly, mm-hmm. exactly, it does for the for the real early grades. Um, so you know, with um, with CMS, they're saying if that's the case, then we're going to have to figure out our mobile classroom situation and bring in a bunch of, of mobiles to, to figure this out. Um, but we were just talking to a state representative who uh, is is one of the, the budget writing guys. And uh, one of the big holdups he's saying is that before they can even talk education and the actual um, uh, knit and not even knit and grit, but the basics of the budget – They have um, Medicare that they have to figure out and they have um, or Medicaid Mm -hmm. and they have tax reform and that will tell them how much money they have to work with for the rest of the budget. And those have been 
uh, two big sticking points, and they haven't even gotten to the rest of it yet. Yeah, so there's uh, they gave themselves until August 14th in this temporary mm-hmm. kind of stopgap budget, basically, exactly. as you talk about the continuing resolution, it continued funding from the last thing, basically didn't change any of the levels. But yeah, the uh, the Senate included in the budget that they passed this, this major uh, overhaul of how Medicaid operates in the state and who would run it and so forth. Um, the House did not include that in their budget. They, they, they have separately passed a, um, uh, a Medicaid overhaul that's also significantly different. And then, yeah, when you talk about, about taxes, right, we've already seen some major tax changes over the last few years, but the Senate um, – has several other things they want to lower the uh, the, the corporate income tax. Um, it, it's scheduled to lower. But they want to they want to put that in the law, uh, regardless of whether it hits revenue targets, which is what's in there right now. Um, they have um, a variety of other changes, and then of course one of the real big ones is a sales tax redistribution. Yeah. Essentially, the way that that, that that local governments get sales taxes, um, and it, it, it would change it up uh, in, in, a, in a way that um, Governor McCrory opposes, and the House has been resistant to. Uh, cities are against because it would take revenue from them and try to push it toward rural areas that are more economically depressed. So, uh, but then you're right. I mean, there's all kinds. I mean, education, right? Teaching assistants, teacher assistants, they're going to be a um, uh, another big argument in the budget. And so it's amazing that at this point, two weeks from when the stopgap measure expires, that they are only on the first couple of um, uh, a, a couple of issues and they haven't been able to work their way through it all. So, based, so I mean, they're saying September, but remember, they were saying August before. So, you know, who knows? Yeah. Based on the history, there's no reason to – it wouldn't be surprising necessarily if they don't meet their own deadline. Yeah, they were thinking, you know, when I when I talked to folks before, they were thinking, okay, yeah, there's a good chance we'll have it uh, finished before mid-August. But uh, now it's looking like it may be uh, late September Oh, well, good. you know, that's what they're saying is late September. But I, I would just say that there have been – if you look at the federal level and the way this has worked, and obviously there's a different, different dynamic there. Um, we've seen years in the not-too-distant past where the entire year was just funded on a continuing resolution, right? So they just said, OK, we're going to do a temporary stopgap spending measure. Oh, yeah, but that temporary stopgap spending measure is going to cover an entire year when we usually we would do mm-hmm. you know, this full budget process. I'm not saying that's what's going to happen here. I'm just saying that – that, that they're going down a path where and, – and, and the, the disagreements between the two budgets are so huge that um, we've already seen them punt, punt once. Now they're talking about punting again uh, you know, down, down another month and just you know, who knows where they reach agreement or if they reach agreement. And the thing too is um, when we were talking with uh, Craig Horn, the state representative, I mean if they have another continuing resolution um, – that means basically most times that your budget is the same as it was before. And, you know, with education, that means in in both of the Senate and House budgets, there were um, teacher pay raises in them. They, they handled it differently. But you get a continuing resolution and, and chances are there will be no um, teacher pay raise for, you know, several months. Right. Yeah. One of the issues that this uh, disclosure here, because this does uh, affect affect me, but I know it's a lot of parents in my situation are wondering about this is driver's ed. That's not funded right now. Uh, I just was trying to today or trying to figure that out for for my son. And usually with a subsidy of the state, the, the state funding, it's fifty five dollars to pay for driver's ed right now. You can't register for driver's ed classes because the funding is, is uncertain. Your son is about to be driving. Yes. That's terrifying. <laughs> I know. It, believe me, it is. But it goes from, uh, you know, paying $55 to 
probably uh, you know three fifty four hundred dollars or just yeah, depending I, on I what mean, oh, you, you have to if you, if you have to pay for it uh, on the open market. Sure. I mean, and districts are really looking hard at this and trying to figure out, do we offer driver's ed in mm-hmm. that case? Yeah, yeah, that's all up in the air. <laughs> um, I, probably won't be uh, figured out before school starts. Yeah. <laughs> well, what what are some other key things that need to be decided then besides things that affect my budget? OK, I, I, but I think that is an issue that affects a lot of people. That's why I bring it up. But mm-hmm. what is uh, what, what are some other key things that uh, are going to be on hold for um, uh, coming into the new school year? I mean, those are the those are the big things. I mm-hmm. mean, um, the teachers, other things they have to work through in the budget uh, uh-huh. uh, to to get to that point, right? We've already talked about the sales tax redistribution and and Medicaid, uh, but you've also got incentives, right? There's there's already been uh, a lot of push between the Senate versus the House and Governor McCrory um, about you know economic incentives. How much can the state offer to other businesses? Um, you've got, uh, I mean, there, there's a whole slew of things. There's things like about, okay, moving certain things like the zoo over to other departments, um, to, you know, do, does it leave from where it is and go into the department of cultural affairs? I think it's in the department of environment right now. Um, the, the funding for that, and they're th- looking at overhauls on some of those things. I mean, you know, budgets are, I mean, these are hundreds and hundreds of pages documents, um, with, you know, tons of items in them. Um, you know, there, obviously there, there's big issues, there's small issues, but it's incredible that you know that this far into it, they I, incredible is maybe not the right word, but that they just haven't gotten nearly as far as they expected to. The supermajority uh, legislature are, weren't they all supposed to be on the same page? <laughs> <laughs> well, this is what you usually see happen yeah. as well. You know, in these kind of situations, that you know, the the more power um, a party gets, the more the more you see the divisions right. as as people push for uh, for their constituents. That and, and and the more of those kind of regional differences come out. Well, on to another matter, clean air. I learned from a report you had this week, Ben, that Mecklenburg County now has cleaner air. Well, you know, it didn't, <laughs> it didn't happen overnight, but yeah, that's right. So, so for a very long time, actually, you can go back uh, like 30-odd years and see that um, – maybe more than that and, – and, and see that the, the, the ozone level um, – and ozone is not a pollutant itself, but it's essentially a reaction uh, in the air. It's created when um, uh, nitrous oxide – uh, and it hits sunlight, and and, and it creates uh, uh, ozone. Uh, high ozone levels can cause breathing problems, particularly for people with asthma and other kinds of uh, issues, or who have um, already have health problems. And so, uh, uh, Mecklenburg County and the surrounding area, the counties, like parts of the counties around it, essentially mm-hmm. have had very high ozone levels, um, and and have had the highest in the state um, for. For, for a while now and have consistently lagged behind the federal standards. So we've been what's called non-attainment, mm-hmm. meaning that we're not hitting those targets. The state has had to have a plan for how will we get the Charlotte region to to, to hit uh, 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 the right levels. And what you've seen is you've seen a steady decrease over the years, but it's always been behind the state's, the federal standards, which have gotten stricter and stricter as um, uh, both due to, you know, the, the, the administrations that have been in office, but but also – um, you know, in 2008 is the, the current standard, so that was that was in the Bush administration. Uh, but also, just you know, as as the science and, and and health concerns about ozone levels have become more well known, and so what's happened is that yeah, over time, and especially uh, with the Clean Smokestacks Act, which was a big North Carolina environmental law from back in 2004, um, we've seen ozone levels fall. It's mostly due to cars. Um, they're, they're the largest source. So um, anyway, the, all, all of those factors have played a part. But you've seen the trend line go down. And finally, what's happened is that in the in the, in the year 2015, Charlotte has been able to hit the 2008 uh, federal standards. <laughs> but is, is it somewhat 
notable though? Because as our, our as our oh, it is question, notable. As, well, yeah. obviously, so yeah, we people, do, so that's why it's a story. But mm-hmm. as our population has grown a lot. That's been a, a challenge, I'm sure. I assume anyway to meeting these standards. Uh, is it impressive that we've met that goal with with the with the population increasing as it has? With that means more cars and pollution, whatnot. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know whether it's impressive or not. I mean, you consider that the rest of the state had already. We were, it was literally the last county to okay. to hit this <laughs> to hit the, hit this standard. So now all of North Carolina is in, in compliance. Um, however, with that said, you know, Charlotte faces the challenges of being the largest uh, 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 metropolitan area uh, in North Carolina, and um, you know, having a, a a very spread out landscape which requires a lot of cars and uh, all those kinds of things there. So. Um, in that sense, I mean, it, obviously, it is a challenge to get down there, and and some of the things that that you can contribute that that contributed to it, and you know, I was talking to a in the story a um uh, someone from from Clean Air Carolina who also is an air quality specialist uh, uh for local government, and you know, he was saying one of the one of the big factors was of course the closing of the Riverbend coal plant, um, and and not having that because coal is a major mm-hmm. coal plants are major releasers of nitrous oxide and. Uh, you know other other air air pollutants, and so he said that you know you can you can track where that closed, and then the fall of um, uh, of ozone levels in Charlotte. But in addition to that, he also pointed out that you know there are now other transportation options that the city has been working on. And actually, he said and I didn't get this into the story just because it was very quick. That one of the reasons the, that the city was able to get federal dollars for the Blue Line, for instance, mm-hmm. and the Blue Line extension, and um, uh, uh, well, I mean those two projects, I guess in in particular is that part of this state plan to lower ozone levels in Charlotte was to get better tra- better public transportation so people didn't have to take their cars in many places. Interesting. And he says that actually plays a part in getting these kind of grants when, when um, uh, for instance, the Department of Transportation is looking between different municipalities and different states and saying, okay, well, what projects do we want to fund? Well, our not being in compliance on this air quality levels <laughs> actually us. helped us get grant money. But now, now that we are in compliance, does it hurt us? Well, you're right. I mean, that's the other part of it. But you know, that, that's the, the other part of the story too is that we probably won't be in compliance for long. The uh, there's another uh, uh, stricter standard that's expected to go into effect. Uh, the, there's a proposed rule out from the Environmental Protection Agency, and we expect the final one could come out this year, and that'll be even stricter. And Charlotte absolutely won't meet that. And so, once again, we'll be lagging behind and catching up. Well, that might be the some, somewhat make it easier for people uh, that uh, support the uh, the streetcar uh, mayoral candidates that support the streetcar to get some federal funding for the expansion of that, and that certainly is an issue in the mayoral election. And which brings us to our, our next uh, our next topic. How's that for a segue? Very well done. Very right. well done. <laughs> nice. Uh, the mayor's election is coming up. Uh, primary is September fifteenth, I believe. September fifteenth yeah. is the is the primary, and then um, if there's a runoff necessary, if if no one gets. Uh, um, I think it's above forty percent, but I have to go look at that again. Um, of, of the vote, then they'll have a, a runoff between the top two candidates in each party, and then you've got the general election in November. Well, one of the things I'm so excited about, as far as our coverage is concerned, is we're actually going to be doing more with uh, our, our website to get people uh, more familiar with uh, with the candidates. One of the challenges is is giving everyone when you're doing things for a mass audience is covering everyone. Equally, and what we're going to do is is have, we'll have some general stories on these candidates, but we're going to have some one-on-one interviews that you've already started to you and Tom Bullock have already started to uh, 
to to record with candidates uh, where people can just go listen to them. We have a series of set questions for all the candidates and some individualized questions for them. And we'll, they'll have 15 to be able to listen to these interviews, 15 to 20 minutes uh, each for, for each candidate. Yeah, that, that's exactly right. And, and so we, we we're about, I think, uh, as of my speaking this, we're about halfway through um, uh, interviewing all of the candidates. But we've had them come in for the most part in the studio um, and, and had some, yeah, really nice uh, kind of sit-down conversations with them. And um, obviously there's a lot of issues in, in, in this election. Charlotte, at a time of economic growth, had experienced the largest budget hole larger than any single year of the recession. Um, part of that was due to, uh, to, to property tax revaluation redo in Mecklenburg County. Um, but another part of that, uh, the, the biggest part of that was because of uh, uh, changes uh, from state lawmakers, uh, the elimination of a business privilege mm-hmm. license tax, uh, which we've done far too much coverage of. And um, but but essentially, you know, the the expectation is that down the road, if, if the Senate, for instance, got its way with the tax overhaul, that 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 that, that revenue for the city could continue to fall if the sales tax redistribution happens. Revenue for the for the city could continue to fall. So that's the economic environment that these people running for mayor are are, are coming into. Obviously, there's questions of transportation as the city grows. There is the streetcar project, which is already shaping up to be one of the big election issues. So we're, we're trying to cover all of those things, figure out who these people are, why are they running for a kind of a strange job. Uh, Charlotte's <laughs> got a, a, a weak mayor uh, mm-hmm. form of government, so I think you'll you'll hear us uh, uh, frequently ask about that. Um, that it essentially means that, that the mayor only votes in the event of a tiebreaker on a, an 11-member council. So you have an odd number. It's unlikely to get a tiebreaker in the first place. Otherwise, they lead the meetings. And so it's it, – you know the city manager runs the day-to-day things that you might assume you know, a mayor does uh, in, in, in a larger city like New York, for instance, or right. just in, in, in cities that have a strong mayor form of government. So um, you know, why run for this particular job? And then we're looking at the, at the, at the money, of course, and the fundraising and – uh, and who's in the race and all those kind of things there. So I, I agree with you. I, I'm excited about how we're going to do it. I think that the hard thing on radio is to try to introduce you to six or eight people and who they are and why they're different from each other and so forth. So we're going to try to give you the tools to do that, to go on and actually hear from these people and get these kind of in-depth conversations and, and also just kind of figure out who they are. And we have tried to do that before. I know you've been on the end of, of reporting trying to do that. It's not not very easy, is it, Lisa? No, no, <laughs> it is not. You know, you get a lot of expected answers and, uh, you know, sometimes you get some unexpected ones, but trying to present a, a slate of candidates is a is, is definitely a challenge. Yeah, absolutely. Well, And then, and then there are also, of course, we're, we're focusing, uh, uh, Tom Bullock and I at the moment are focusing on uh, the mayoral election, but there are other elections. Every city council member is up for uh, up for uh, a seat, and then are there school board we elections? Some school here? board elections. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. Indeed. So. All right, guys. Well, we've uh, put to bed uh, another. Oh, we are going to call that this. Uh, we're going. Oh, we're calling series. it the fifteenth floor uh, because that's the uh, where the mayor's office is. Exactly. So we're calling our that, ah, our, our, our temporary our temporary mayoral podcast the fifteenth floor. Stay tuned for that. <laughs> All right. Thanks, guys. Thank you.